You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror and said, how come it's taken me so long to get better? Have you ever struggled with the dissonance and the tension between all the truth that you know and all the content that you have, all the things that you've been through and the wonderful realities of your Christian life, the Bible that even you may know, and yet you feel this dissonance because you're not getting any better. There's truth on this side of things, but it doesn't seem to be able to transform me over here. There's a struggle in my life. And yet many of us in the Western world, especially our brand of Christianity, we've made the assumption that because I know content and I'm doing the right stuff, and I'm in a small group, and I'm interacting with other Christians, and I'm attending worship services, and I'm doing all of that, that, however, it's very good to do and very right to do, that somehow that equals power, that equals change, that equals transformation. But it doesn't. And the reality is, you can all, all of us can be doing all the right stuff, taking two steps forward, but three and a half steps backwards. I want to submit to you that the issue that we have is not one of, not of information or knowledge or exposure. The problem that we struggle with is the absence of power. Transforming power. In Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, and I want to talk today about experiencing God's power. There is this incredible moving scene, but in order for us to really appreciate what's happening in these eight verses, we've got to appreciate the historical context here. What has taken place about more than 40 days before this period, these events that Luke talks about, Jesus had been crucified. Now, the reality is, after three and a half years of earthly ministry with with Jesus, the disciples heard, they did hear crucifixion, but for some reason, although Jesus talked about it, they didn't hear or receive resurrection. Jesus spends quality time with him just before he's to be crucified. In fact, in John chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, He summarizes everything that he had taught them in three and a half years in what has been famously called the upper room discourse, the distilled essence of the Christian life. He tells them that he's going to send the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, to be with them and in them. But then Jesus is betrayed. He's crucified. He cries out of the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The disciples are scared spitless. They don't know what to do because the reality of identifying with Jesus has hit them in the face. Their Lord, their master, their savior has died a criminal's death. If they killed him, what are they going to do to us? So they're scattered and they're hiding out and they're fearful. (laughs) 
few short days later, they greet the resurrected Jesus who then puts them back together. Now Jesus gathers his followers together there in Jerusalem just before he's ascend to heaven. And you know what he talks to them about? You know what he talks to them about? He talks to them about power. Listen to these words. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus mentions to his disciples that here's the case for the power of the Holy Spirit. He builds this case. Luke writes these words in the beginning of verse 1. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now listen to these words. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. One translation puts it this way, by many convincing proofs. The implication is that Jesus not only, not only said things to them, but he, what he shared with them was accompanied by miracles over this 40-day period of time, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. The picture is this. Every question that they had, he answered. Every doubt that they had had been transferred and translated into assurance. Now, mind you, this is not one-off. They saw Jesus. They, they heard him. They touched him. They ate with him. He, the resurrected Lord of history, answered every single question that they had. This is remarkable to me. So what do they have? They've got exposure. They've got education. They've got enthusiasm. They're ready to go. And yet, what does he say to them? Listen to these words. Verse 4 says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, what do you mean? Don't leave. We, 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 we have no questions anymore. We don't have any, we, 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 we'll lay down our lives for you. We've got education, exposure, enthusiasm. But then he says to them, don't leave. Why? But wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Jesus was underscoring the reality. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, enthusiasm is good. Education is wonderful. You got the correct answers. You're, you're excited about all of this. But none of those things are sustainable. Did you hear what I just said? Enthusiasm is not sustainable. Even truth, apart from power, is not sustainable. He says, no, no, you, you need to stay here. And then he gives us this contrast. I don't mean to be so pedantic here, but hang in there with me. He gives a contrast. He says, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Why does he put this in there? He, he contrasts the baptism of John and the baptism of the Spirit. The baptism of John was a baptism, hear me, of intention. It was a baptism of intention. 
You, you, you got baptized by John. It was an outward sign. You intended to renounce your sins. You intended to go in a different direction. You intended to live or lead a different life. But the problem with the baptism of John was it was just that. It was a baptism of intention. Now, the symbol meant something, but it wasn't, it wasn't sustainable. The baptism of the Spirit is a baptism of power that enables you to do what you intend to do. So he says, no, you need to stay here. Uh, in Luke 24, Jesus said, you stay in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. That word translated clothed in the Greek text means literally to take on the appearance of another. Speaking of transformation, and not just content. Then down to verse 8 here in, Luke, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, but you, notice the pronoun, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the remotest parts of the world. Now, many people say that that's a great missionary verse. Well, it, it is, and I've used it that way myself. But the emphasis in that verse is not the sequential spread of the gospel so much as it is the transformation of his followers. But you will see power. The word power there is the Greek word dunamis, which, which means inherent ability. You're going to receive inherent ability when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. There's a declaration of identity. Wherever you show up, whether it's Jerusalem, whether it's Judea, whether it's Samaria, whether it's the remotest part of the world. Why? Because you have been transformed by the power of the Spirit of God. Ladies and gentlemen, what is needed in our culture and our world today is not just more significant insights. Not just more clarity about what's going on wrong in our world. You see, I've long since learned that analysis is not solution. Your analysis could be accurate. Your insights could be pristine and right on. But it doesn't produce change. What needs to take place in our lives as well as in the lives of those around us is that we need to experience the power of transformation. So that's the case. You fast forward over to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. The apostle Paul takes it a step further. Um, There's not just the necessity of this power. Experiencing this power is an objective command. Really? Yeah. Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. <laughs> Be not drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. The control of the Holy Spirit, first of all, what the Apostle Paul is saying is not just a great suggestion. He's not saying, well, you know, when I was traveling throughout Asia Minor, I heard this great, you know, idea and got this great suggestion and great piece of advice and it seemed to be working for them. Let me just pass it on to you. No, it's in the imperative mood. It's a command. Stop getting drunk with wine but be being filled with the Spirit. What is the import of that? Well, let me just say this clearly. 
In other words, any follower of Jesus Christ who is not knowingly, willingly submitted to the control of the Holy Spirit is living in sinful disobedience to God. And the, re the reason for that is, is that we were born, hear me, we were born, hear me please, we were born for transformation. We were born to experience his power to be empowered by him so that our lives tell the truth about our walk and relationship with Christ. It's more than just words. It's more than just activities. It's more than just great thoughts. It's more than just wonderful intentions. That there is the visible change brought on by the power of the Spirit of God. So number one, it's a command right there in that verse. Number two, the control of the Holy Spirit is just that. It is controlling. Where do you see that? It's borne out by the analogy, the, the imagery there. And be not drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be, being filled with the Spirit. In other words, just as a controlled substance alters and changes your behavior, so also the filling of the Holy Spirit alters and changes who we are. We're, we're not just to add Jesus to our lifestyle. We don't just add Jesus to our way of doing things. To know Jesus and to walk and live with him means not just a better version of myself, but a supernatural lifestyle, a life that has been transformed, that has been empowered by the third person of the Trinity, person of the Trinity, person of the Trinity that lives inside of me. The Holy Spirit is not just an influence. It is not an it. It is a he, it is a person that lives inside of our lives. And he can change us. Christians should never use this excuse for the constant struggle with sin and weaknesses in our life. Well, that's just the way I am. Well, that's good news because the Holy Spirit has come to change just the way we are. Transform us. So it is a command, it is... Controlling, but thirdly, it is meant to be continuous. There's a, there's, there's, a, there's the hint of urgency. It says, and be not drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. But notice the line, literally, it could have been translated, but be being filled. But being, being filled, it speaks of that, that this, is, this is something that should happen continuously and constantly. It doesn't just happen one time. Now, the filling of the Holy Spirit does not mean that we get any more of the Holy Spirit. It means that we yield ourselves to all of the Holy Spirit that's inside of us. We surrender to who's in us. He says, this is urgent. Your life is too valuable not to experience the transforming power of our great God and our great Savior, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. I got to tell you, you know, <laughs> the problem with the filling of the Holy Spirit is, as, as my friend of mine says, is that we leak. <laughs> and throughout the course of your day, if you're like me, I constantly have said, Lord, uh, I'm sorry. That was a selfish thing that I said. That was a bad thought that I dwelt on. 
I responded not in a Christ-like way to that individual. So then you have to yield once more to his control. So, there's a case to be filled. Education, exposure, enthusiasm, information, wonderful, not knocking it, it's good. But it's not the same thing as a transforming power of the Spirit of God. There's a command to be filled. This is not a suggestion. Your life is too valuable, too important to him not to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Well then, what then therefore does it look like? What happens to us when we are consistently controlled by the Holy Spirit? What will we look like? What will we become? If you have a Bible again, I want you to flip over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul answers this question by drawing a contrast. In verse, verse 19, he gives us, he gives us this not-so-inviting biographical sketch of those of us who maybe live lives that are ruled and driven by our flesh. Listen to these words. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And in other words, I could go on, but you get the point, okay? I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The operative expression is the present tense. Those who continue to do such things, he's saying, could be evidence if you continue to live this life where you're dominated by things like this, could be evidence that you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus. Now notice the contrast here. However, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I, I would like to suggest to you that these nine characteristics are not, this is not a definitive list. This is not the end of the list here. When he says against such things, there, there are other things that you get the point. Here are these, here are these things that, are, that become as a result of the Spirit of God controlling your life. Let me just back up and say here that, that when we're consistently filled with the Spirit over a period of time, we will manifest these characteristics and then some. I would also suggest to you that what he's given to us is a profile of Christ-likeness. The Spirit of God will always produce Christ-likeness. You stay away from Christians who talk Spirit-filled language but yet they tend to want to use the Spirit to position themselves in their own power and control over other people. That happens sometimes. Pride is insidious and subtle. It wears many disguises, including false spirituality. But authentically to be filled with the Spirit of God means that the Spirit of God, according to Jesus, came to glorify Christ. He will exalt Christ. 
And the signature of the Spirit of God, the signature of the control of the Spirit of God is that we look like Jesus. We look like our Savior. Now I want to make some observations based on this text here. <laughs> Notice, he says, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, he didn't say the works of the Spirit. Neither did he say the product of the Spirit. But he said the fruit of the Spirit. Notice that the word fruit is singular. He didn't say fruits of the Spirit. I've heard many messages over time, uh, over my life on this, this, this section of Scripture. And, you know, they say, well, we need to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. Well, no, he didn't say fruits. He said fruit. Which means, then, therefore, these characteristics really are manifestations of one thing. The manifestations of Christ's likeness, right? And this fruit is simultaneously developed and demonstrated over time. Over time. He's not talking about a perfectionism here. But the more that we yield to the Spirit of God, the more we look like Jesus and we begin to manifest these characteristics. Now notice he also says, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Of the Spirit. Who produces the fruit? Now I'm not talking about being passive. We're going to get into this in a moment. Uh, we're not passive in the process. But we don't produce the fruit. You can work as hard as you want to work for your whole life and not produce this kind of fruit. It is a fruit that is produced by the Spirit of God. It presupposes submission and yieldedness to the Spirit of God. It presupposes humbling myself and coming under his control in my life. It is a fruit of the Spirit. He produces transformation. You cannot transform yourself. You cannot bootstrap yourself. You can rearrange the furniture on the deck. You can spackle the cracks in the wall, but you ain't going to fix the foundation by yourself. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. He produces it. It's kind of like, you, you know, you, 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 never you haven't driven by an apple orchard or anything, by an apple tree and heard the apple tree going, eh. is there an apple yet? It's silly. It naturally, because of its, what it is, produces apples. Factories, machinery in a factory can produce a product but it can't produce fruit. Fruit is the product of life. Only life produces fruit. And the Spirit of God produces fruit. If you want fruit in your life, then he's going to produce the fruit in and through your life. You, 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 we have to yield to him. It is a fruit it is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. So we press into Him. We trust Him. We yield to Him. 
because he wants to transform who we essentially, essentially are. You say, well, Crawford, how, how, does, how does that happen? How does that happen? How does that happen? I've discovered that all, all transformation in the Christian life is a product of these three steps. This is particularly true when it comes to the filling of the Holy Spirit. You can't fill yourself and you can't legalistically rule and regulation yourself into becoming full of life. That's a formula for lifelessness, to be honest with you. You can't do it. You can't bootstrap yourself. Well, what do I do? These three things, very simple. The first one is to repent. Repent. You, you, you can't keep going... <laughs> can't keep stepping on the accelerator and going faster in the wrong direction. Some of us think that all I have to do is to do more, 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 and I'll be a better Christian. Do more, I'll be a better. No, 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 no. He says, so time, 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 time. Stop, stop, go. Stop. Stop. You gotta search your heart. You gotta search your heart. What is hindering me from being under the control of the Holy Spirit. John says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to come to the realization that even in a Christian life, it's been driven more by myself than by him. Confess to him, Lord Jesus, I've been self-serving. God, I've had bad thoughts. I've made bad choices. And I come to this point where I just confess it to you. Some of us, we, we, we've been too incremental in our relationship with Jesus. What do you mean by that, Crawford? Well, what I mean by that is that we think we just like dole out pieces and we've got to come to a crisis point in our lives. We've got to come to a crisis point. We say, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. So God, I confess my sin to you. Whatever it might be, the Spirit of God is not going to control us when we're holding on to stuff that's wrong. He's not going to do it. You can talk a good spiritual game all you want to, but he's not going to do it. Then secondly, there's, there's, there's repentance, and then number two, there's yieldedness. Well, you, you confess that to the Lord, and then you say, Lord Jesus, I yield. I yield to you. I yield to you. There are great paradoxes in the Christian life. See, this is, you, you, you can't live the Christian life the way you hear from people giving you good advice other places success in the Christian life means dependence it means dependence freedom in the Christian life paradoxically means dependence the path the transformation means the acknowledgement 
that I was born to live for someone else. And so I yield. I say, Lord Jesus, I, I stand back and I take the second position. Think with my mind, speak with my mouth, live in and through me. And then the third thing is, repent, yield, and thirdly, believe. God wants us to be controlled by his spirit. He want, you don't have to beg him. You don't have to beg him. You don't have to plead with him. I sometimes see Christians just beating themselves up and begging, and I... And, it's as if God is saying, get up. Get up. Stop the self-incrimination. You've confessed your sin. You yield. Now believe. Believe that he's controlling you. I said this last year or so as here at Passion that um, you got to be careful of letting your emotions be the barometer of your your spiritual well-being because our emotions they're great passengers but they're horrible drivers believe believe are you controlled by the Spirit of God today I gotta tell you multiple times during the day I have to do what I just outlined to you You're sailing along, then all of a sudden something happens that you don't like, and before you know it, you said something you shouldn't have said, you thought something you shouldn't have thought, you did something you shouldn't have done. What do you do? Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. I confess that to you. I make this right. I yield to your spirit, and I believe that you're in charge. One last salvo here. Listen to me. Listen to me. Uh, my heart is so torn up and burdened and, yes, frankly, disappointed. How in mass over the last five, six, seven, eight years, we Christians have acted here in the Western world. We've chosen other surrogate means of power that have become idolatrous to us. And we're not giving off the sweet smell of the fruit of the Spirit, but we're giving off the stench of the flesh that's wrapped in spiritually sounding language. And it's time for us to get back to the purity and the reality of the third person of the Trinity producing the sweet smell and the sweet aroma of Jesus in and through us. Do you want that? I want that. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.